Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. I'm Alex. And I'm Britton. Um, uh, how you guys doing? You really held us in suspense there for a second. Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I didn't want to... I, I don't mean to fuzz the podcast over here. You know. Is that what the kids say? <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a verb for when hackers input lots of random data or fuzz in an attempt to make a system crash. It's used by hackers to look for vulnerabilities in code. You guys aren't mm-hmm. uh, key, key, uh, keyboard jockeys like me, so I understand if you you didn't you didn't know. <laughs> in this podcast, I will surprisingly play the role of Bruce Willis being mad at the fact <laughs> that technology has aged beyond nineteen ninety. And he yes. was already mad about 1990 technology. That's true. Even Bruce Willis really, it, John McClane really wants one of those computers you got to pour hot water in the back of mm. and you turn a crank. Oh, <laughs> man. That's that's a pristine piece of technology from old Bruno. <laughs> We're back with more Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. We didn't quit like we normally do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because as we are well known for not following through on finishing yeah. off film franchises, yeah, we always stop. Not... Yeah, that's why the, our Halloween series is so short. We stopped we before it went downhill. We have never overcommitted to a franchise and regretted it terribly. Um, right. We are talking about Live Free or Die Hard, which hot take maybe I I think that name is great. <laughs> I feel like that is uh, there, that is a there... good pull. There is an alternate name, which is Die Hard 4.0, which good. No, I don't think it's as good, but that is a little clever, I guess. I feel like you can't go back. No, I agree. So you, you can't go back after one movie back to numbers. You can't skip a movie with by doing a subtitle. Or actually, that's not even a subtitle. It's Die Hard with a Vengeance is like just a new title, I guess. Yeah. You can't skip the number and then come back and say, okay, now we're doing Die Hard for it. That's like a, you, you get to 10 movies down the line and you're like, all right, this is, this is part 10. Then you can, sure. you can bring it back, but you got to earn your way back if you uh, give up on the numbers there. So yeah. Fast and Furious kind of earned it back, I right. guess. Maybe. Right. That's, that's sort of the only example <laughs> that really, that really works. Um, I'm curious though, is it, is Live Free or Die Hard like, because I saw that coming up, and I thought that was just a weird Google thing where it was indexing or trying to pull Die Hard 4 and was confused about the number because <laughs> I did see <laughs> Die Hard 4.0. Uh, no, but the official name is Live Free oh, or Die Hard. The, yeah. the official name is Live Free or Die Hard, but it was released as Die Hard 4.0 outside of North America. Oh, I guess because they, where they don't have freedom. They wouldn't enjoy our our patriotism. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which well, I can't enjoy fair. Don McLean's antics if he's also trying to live free. <laughs> More like live Tory and die hard. I don't know if that's incendiary. Yeah, probably. Maybe. Hey, what isn't these days? Um, I don't think I'm doing a good job in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Roll it back. Um. I apologize Alex, to England. I don't deserve to bear your name. 
<laughs> Alex, what is More the... like they don't deserve to bear your name. Yeah, right. And this you. week on the podcast, we are talking about Live Free or Die Hard from 2007, You Better Believe It, directed by yeah. Lynn Wiseman. It has an 82% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and an 86% audience score. Those are too high, but it's still pretty good. Gentlemen, what did you did you like it? Uh, not really. I do want to say. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, you know, over under. We all know I'm the I'm the kind of I'm 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 the caboose on this uh, diehard train. Um, I opened a, I opened up a, a a website of hacker slang. To yeah. try to deploy, we, I think we picked up on that. Okay, good. Oh, it didn't sound natural and organic. <laughs> was it literally just a PDF of the Live Free or Die Hard script? Pretty much. But I will say, what's great about this is that <laughs> they have words that we know, like virus, but it's spelled. It's like V I, and there's like the dot in a dictionary to show where the pause is. Vi, Russ, mm-hmm. and there's also at tack. Hmm. Uh, which is great. And I'm pretty sure this website is from 1997. So that's cool. cool. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but no, hacker slang uh, is cool. Um, Should I do the synopsis before we just get in on this? Before we no, really I think jack into the mainframe? Let's do like half an hour of discussion and then we can do the synopsis. Okay, cool. Get everybody caught up. <laughs> anyway, in this picture... <laughs> John McClane and a young hacker join forces to take down master cyber terrorist Thomas Gabriel in Washington, D.C. When someone hacks into the computers at the FBI Cybercrime Division, the director decides to round up all the hackers who could have done this. Feels like you didn't need the second part, but we said it. All right. Yeah, that's the beginning of the movie. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, uh, this Uh, movie. That's the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. I will say, uh, awesome. This movie, I think, Alex and I were talking about this a little bit before we recorded. One of the the things that kind of helped me along with uh, Die Hard one, two, and three, it's it's they are very much movies of their respective years of uh, eighty eight, ninety, and ninety three. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of the like novelty of that, and and I think the first one is genuinely well done, and this one just feels to me like yeah, this is a two thousand seven action movie, and which is not a bad thing to be. Um, it's still probably of a higher order than I don't know what other action movies were coming out that year. Um, but it, it, it had now the look, it had, like the, a lot of the color seemed to be drained out of it. It was kind of washed out, which is a look I've never really found that appealing in movies, um, which is not, you know, a, a huge component, but it also kind of is. I don't know. It's particularly the Michael Bay style where everyone sure. just looks really sweaty. Yeah. And I think that it just feels... And maybe some of this is just because, you know, it was a 14-year difference. People, none of the previous characters are in this movie except John, and he looks different. He doesn't look bad. He just looks different. And so it doesn't it doesn't feel like the next Die Hard movie so much as like, oh, yeah, this is Die Hard. Sure. Yeah. At least for, to me. That's fair. Um, I, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I, I definitely think it. it just feels like it dives into the plot so quickly mm-hmm. uh that i mean we get the scene early on of, of bruce willis uh defending his daughter's honor i guess <laughs> uh 
who is Mary Elizabeth Winstead, which is fun because this yeah. is when did Scott Pilgrim come out? That was a good bit later, right? No, it's uh, 2005. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm confusing that with when Edgar Wright's Ant Man was originally supposed to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Edgar Wright's had a career. Um, I thought that was interesting because that era is like right, you know, before. I don't even know that Mary Elizabeth Winstead is huge now. Like a lot of people would recognize her, but I feel like mm. she hasn't had like a massive role that really like springboarded her, but definitely more well-known now. Yeah. And has gotten roles in some, some really big things. So um, really cool to see her. Uh, I, anyway, I'm very tired. And so this is going <laughs> to be an interesting podcast. I found that it starts us off so quickly. That's like the only character trait we get from John McClane is basically, okay, He's got a daughter. He doesn't want her dating guys. And there's a dorky frat guy that she's dating. And he's like, hey, chicks, am I right? And then he he leaves. <laughs> and that's that's what we get out of that scene. And then we pretty much get right into McLean doing action scenes and saving the hacker boy. And, you know, moving along and trying to get things done. In the third act, we do spin back around to the reason that his daughter's in that first scene because we're setting her up so that she can be used as a hostage in the end of the movie <clears throat> and sort of help him uh, get one over Timothy Oliphant. Um, but like the other movies really thoroughly establish McLean as a character early on. Yeah. Um, and the, and he is the focus is first and foremost, like this is our, our guy. This is our sort of anti-hero uh, he's going around, he's getting things done his own way. Uh, he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, which this movie calls back to in a <laughs> very sort of not uh, smoothly integrated way at the end of the script. Um, but he, it, he just kind of feels like action man. Uh, and there's still some of that performance in there, but I also the the writing is not quite the same to where it's it's giving him the chance to really live in that character. Um and he does look a lot different. He's a lot older um than the last time he played this character. So it's just it's a weird it's not bad looking at it in a vacuum, but it is weird to compare to the other movies because it just doesn't feel like the focus is nearly as as heavily on him uh and on John McClane, who's this character who's really strongly built up in the first three. Yeah, I did notice like the the parts where he talks to himself felt more forced in this. Not from the an acting standpoint, but from a, a writing standpoint, it felt like they went, "Oh, right, he's got to talk to himself." Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like this one for the most part ditches the thing that I talked about, particularly with one and three that I liked a lot in terms of just like small little fun character yeah. quirk beat moments mm-hmm. um, of just like. That you could have easily cut that. I'm glad you didn't, because that that character is now memorable for me just yeah. for like this one little thing they did. Um, yeah, I think for this one, most of that is just relegated to uh, Bruce Willis or John doesn't understand technology, and that's just kind of a joke. Um, yeah. Which I think is fine, and I actually think that this movie surprisingly doesn't shoot itself in the foot with that, because I feel like it's it could be very easily done that. The fact that John is is definitely from a different time, and he he 
hasn't adjusted to kind of yep. the current world that this movie takes place in, and the fact that we're dealing with cyber terrorists as our, our main threat. I feel like it could easily be like John is completely incompetent. He never knows what's going on, and it's just annoying to the audience. But I feel like the, the movie actually does a good job of going, no, he's still going to find a solution even despite all of that. Um, yeah. I, I think the movie actually, that's kind of one of the tougher things I would think that this movie has to accomplish. And I think it actually handles that fairly well. But Britain, yeah, yeah I think um, by removing a lot of just the little character beats, I mean, all, all the FBI guys are just nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is weird because they've got like a surprisingly stacked cast mm-hmm. of just yeah, supporting good players in this. In this. <laughs> um, like, yeah, like Jelko Ivanic is in there and Cliff yeah. Curtis. Like, yeah. But they just like their their stock government yeah. agent characters. They've got nothing to them. Um, yeah. Which is a shame, particularly after the third film, because I mm-hmm. really like all the the police characters, all of John's co workers and his boss, and that like all of them yeah. were were so so well fleshed out and handled. Um, and this one is just like, no, we got we got the plot. We got, focus on the plot. This feels like maybe the most plot driven of yeah. all of them. Um, and they are all plot driven action movies, but this one like it doesn't even beat around the bush. It doesn't even like pretend like okay, we've got it. You know, we're gonna we're gonna you know breathe a little bit take our time a little bit it's like no 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 plot 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 right up in your face yeah <laughs> and the the other three everything that's happening in those is you've got john mcclain he's trying to do something you've maybe got some government guys or some cops or whoever who are either helping or a hindrance and you've got the villain is a character who is making choices and has motivations based on what they're trying to accomplish and this one and we'll talk about uh the villains in general i guess uh we can we can dive into them um but ultimately they're so removed because they're hacking everything just from for what of the movie just looks like a big box uh that we don't know where they are and they're doing all sorts of random destruction and there are guys that just show up and shoot at mclean and uh justin long and are just there to make a gunfight happen or a big helicopter explosion happen. Uh, it doesn't, it's not nearly as like, Oh, this is why like, all right, our, our villains are now trying to target, uh, McLean because he's in the way of them accomplishing some other thing. Like the, there's just that personal touch between the villain and McLean is not there until we get into like the third act basically. And so it, it feels a lot less, organic in terms of this is sort of a game between these two players it feels more like mclean's just going through a bunch of obstacles and eventually he does get to a point where he makes it personal for the villain um so yeah i do like that this still has the movie is still kind of about a sense of geography uh they're they're driving all over kind of the northeast uh ish i don't even know what you'd call <laughs> the whole area because he drive he starts by driving from new york to dc yeah uh and then kind of goes back up a little bit and back down a little bit and bounces between some of the states in between there uh so i i like that that's still an element is like people have to get from one place to another physically somehow over time <laughs> that's yeah there there's always been a focus on that in all of these uh that there's constantly kind of not even necessarily a race against the clock, but it's it's very aware of how long things are taking. Um, this movie is definitely a lot more loose with that sort of 
spatial and temporal geography than the others. But it's still there. They still reference a lot about like, all right, we got to go over here. Uh, okay, we got to go find the the building where they're housing the generator. Okay, now they're going over here. Like the they are very focused on where exactly they're going. It's kind of a, a trek and a long series of road trips. So I do think it's kind of fun that with each movie we get a little bit bigger and a little mm-hmm. bit bigger with the sandbox. So we start with a building, then we go to an airport, then an entire city, then several states. Yeah. <laughs> I like then that. Then the that's, world. That's, then the world. Well, a good a good day to die hard is actually around the world in eighty days. Yeah. I I, I want to say that fun. movie is just the country of Russia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think so. Great great place to take a vacation. Yep. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I will say I, this movie. Um, one of one of the things that I I think I, I particularly enjoyed about the first three movies is that there were prominent and also competent people of color in the movie. That like Al and Sam Jackson and I think it was Barnes in the second one. Um, and this one, there are I mean like Maggie Q and Cliff Curtis, but like his sidekick in this is just like a white guy. Um, I will say, so, so that was kind of a, nah, all right. It was this weird thing where in, in the, I've thought about this sometimes, how we talk about the need for diversity and stuff in some ways, like the early nineties had more diversity in a weird way. I feel like there were a lot more black led sitcoms, at least on mainstream television. And now I don't know what mainstream television is anymore. Sure. I don't know what constitutes mainstream television, but the, I'm getting off track. The point is having, even with that caveat, I do like that. I, I feel like the relationship between uh, Bruce Willis and Justin Long is is pretty well done for a movie like this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think we said this starting with the second movie. You're not going to top John and Al. We shouldn't. And they're not trying to, and I'm not actually holding them to that bar. But for a 2007 action movie, like, oh no, I actually, their their relationship makes sense and it builds in a fairly naturalistic way and it the way it resolves at the end is nice. Like, I, I think it worked. And I... Justin Long is an actor who I think had there's this period where a lot of people were like, wait, why is he famous? Why do we all know who he is? Like, what's going on with this guy? But I thought he did a nice job in this. And, yeah. I mean, you know, I've seen him in many things. He's never I, I never thought he was bad in something. I mentioned Galaxy Quest a few weeks ago. Um, but I thought he did a nice job in this. Um, so, that was yeah, one of, yeah, I was going to say that was one of the first thing I, things I noticed that kind of made me be like, oh, maybe I'll have a good time with this movie because I quite like him in this. Uh, yeah. And I think he's pretty funny mm-hmm. a good bit of the time. Um, there's dramatic stuff and I'm not expecting anyone to turn in an Oscar performance totally. with the script of Live Free or Die Hard. <laughs> uh, and he does fine with it. He does yeah. fine with it. He has a he has a good joke towards the end where um, I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead says something really just like like shuts him down and he was like oh wow she was like i i see where you get that from and she was like oh so i can't basically he says yeah i just i'm just not used to hearing that tone from someone with hair yeah <laughs> and i was like that's a pretty good bit yeah yeah i think i think he's really solid in the movie um yeah. and i think he does it I think it would be very easy for this character to come off as unlikable. And it's just like, oh, this is just the stupid kid that Bruce Willis has to drag along for two hours. Right. But I think he rides the fine line of being like he's got the comedic timing down. So he's able to be super snarky and throw quips at at John and uh, no problem. But I think he also ends up being 
fairly sympathetic. Like the way he has mm-hmm. to sell when he realizes what's going on and he's like, oh my God, I actually yeah. was a part of this and I, I did not, I thought I was just doing, just writing some code just to make some money. I didn't realize it was going to lead to all of this. I think he sells that very, very well. I mm-hmm. think he's got, there's a certain level of vulnerability. And of course the huge part of the movie is that he's not, he's used to being stuck behind the computer all day. He He's never been in combat or anything like that. So he's like having panic attacks through the whole movie. Yeah. I think he rides that line really, really well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's not quite as memorable as uh, Powell or, or Zeus, but I, I think it's still pretty solid. And I think given the focus of the movie and the, what thematically it's going for, um, I, I, I texted you guys and been like, is this like Skyfall? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I imagine this is like Skyfall. If it was like bond and Q are both going on a mission together. That's kind of how I felt about it. And of course our bad guys, like a master hacker who got disgruntled and is trying to screw over his government. Um, true. So I, I am, was having I some am, weird connections yeah. to that. Obviously Skyfall is a better movie, but I think this one actually, you know, it's attacking similar ideas. I am sad now that I haven't gotten to see a movie where Daniel Craig and Ben Wishaw go on a big spy adventure. Sure. That would be really fun. There's there's like five minutes of that inspector. I know that's, <laughs> that's fine. Sure. Okay. Uh, fine. <laughs> I, I feel like the kind of thing that like really works about him is how they draw the thematic parallel of the way John McClane, obviously John McClane was a cop in the first one. So he's supposed to have some level of kind of ability to act in a dangerous situation. Uh, But in this, they really draw the line of like, you just have to roll with this and keep surviving. And that's all there is to it. It's not about being like the super brave hero, man. It's just like, just don't die. And, be creative about how you don't die. <laughs> like keep, keep, keep getting through the day. Uh, and they, they do that really well. So that by the end, it's like, Oh, you know, he, he really, uh, did his part and helped out and saved the day. Uh, and leaves you with kind of a similar echo maybe of how McLean is in the first one. So, yeah, I thought that was neat. I like that. There were some thoughts and ideas in the script that worked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like you said, Alex, this guy could so easily just be the cocky, whiny, you know, jeez, uh, this guy. Yeah. Um, also, as someone who himself carries a messenger bag around a lot of places, I was very impressed at Justin Long keeping up with that messenger bag through all his mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. travails and toils in this movie. That's a that's a responsible fella. Get you a man who. That's what I say. He's got he's got to keep up with his kit. Yeah, I I don't know I I. You know, people talk about style icons. There's something to learn here. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I will say, and I'm a little sad to say this, I don't think our our big villain lives up to the yeah. previous three in this. And, and like you said, neither really does Long, but Justin Long still does well. I love Timothy Oliphant. I love him. He's a great interview. Go watch any clip of him on Conan. He's fantastic. I love Justified. I mean, all he was great on Mandalorian. Elephant is just a rock solid dude. I love Timothy Elephant. He has nothing really to do in this movie, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. terms of the character, in terms of a personality, and you know, and and you can see it's very it, to me. It felt really inconsistent. I feel like yeah. you can see him trying to 
turn this into something more kind of memorable and something with a real through line in terms of what's motivating this character. Right. Uh, and there's, there's moments that are interesting where he's reacting to something McLean's doing. Um, there's some good bits where he's reacting to how uh, Lucy, his, his McLean's daughter is kind of the same cut from the same mold. Um, he's, he makes fun of his henchmen a few times for yeah. uh, not being able to handle them or handle her. Uh, and so there's bits and pieces where something interesting kind of shines through, but it it is very bland, I think, overall. And I it, I mean, like you said, I actually haven't really seen him in much beyond the Mandalorian. So that's mm-hmm. like a weird thing to focus on because he was in one episode. Um, but I I trust that that has more to do yeah. with the script than anything else. I, I absolutely think, I, I think y'all would both get a kick out of justified. It's a terrific TV show. Him and Walton Goggins, just that's, there you go. And a bunch of other great actors. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I, this was earlier in his career. So it's not like he was a, a name that they went, Oh, we've got to the elephant. What's right. a cool thing we can get him to do as opposed to, uh, Sam Jackson or even Jeremy Irons at that point. Um, at, their, at that point in their careers uh i i, I messaged you guys that uh he he had steven dorf practice because he does look like steven dorf in this movie um i almost i, I kind of wish maggie q had gotten more to do yeah. i thought that she was a little more it's she she can do this kind of movie in her sleep like this is maggie q's right. like 101 uh but she was good at it and like yeah i, I kind of wanted more she was the heavy and i kind of wanted a little more of that she uh, she dies too early yeah, it's a neat little scene. It's very Lost World, Jurassic Park. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, in a fun way though. It, it completely in a fun, in a fun way. way. Yeah, but like the the fact that doesn't parkour guy survive longer than her? Like that's the big fight Maybe. where they're fighting he, in like well, the um the coolant room or whatever. He he survive well. The, he he doesn't survive so much as he gets introduced. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> hey hey go fight. He's not actually introduced at that point, but we see nothing of him, and then. He's at the beginning, the... right? Isn't he the the sniper that's shooting into Justin Long's oh, apartment? I think that's supposed to be, the to same be him. Guy? You may be right. That would Maybe. make sense. Because yeah, because there's the bit where uh, once they get to the car, they try to run him over through the fence, and he quickly climbs up the fence so that way he doesn't fall or get hit as badly. John, okay. John McClane, John McClane, fight Batrock the Leaper. You coward! Just, just. <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, I, I really like that John McClane kills at least two men with a car hood. <laughs> yeah. Um. But no, I <laughs> I agree. It's weird that it's a good fight. I like when he fights Maggie Q and there's a the whole thing where he goes into an elevator shaft with the truck and somehow she doesn't get crushed against the wall. I don't entirely understand what happened there. Yeah. Um which is not the only time in the movie that I said, I don't entirely understand what that effect was showing me. Um, they have a fight where they're dangling on cables and jumping around. And then eventually she gets caught in the car when it falls and McLean's holding onto a cable and it's good stuff. Uh, and then he, he like cackles afterwards just with the thrill of being alive. That's pretty fun. <laughs> and, uh, and slaughtering your enemies and, and slaughtering your enemies. The, the thrill of the hunt, uh, <laughs> And that's yeah. fun. He is racist to that lady. Yeah. <laughs> later in the movie, which tracks. I'll be honest. Sure. I think, I think for McLean, that's, you know, I'm not 
in I'm in not his defense, that portrayal. How much of it was just trying to upset Timothy Oliphant? That's also true. No, he I was, had that. I had that thought. He was trying I, to grind yeah. his gears. Yeah, because I was like, you're throwing the B word around. And you keep mentioning that she's Asian and ninja, and like, come on, buddy. But yeah, like you said, he's trying to yeah. trying to make old. Which is also where any other time McLean has been like mean or offensive <laughs> to, to other people has been sure. coming from. So California. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like the villains are kind of a missed opportunity here. I think there was a real chance to do something creative. Um, and I, I once again, I, I almost feel like there's too many. And it's weird to yeah. say that because the first Die Hard movie has a lot of bad guys, but just and, and not even all of them are memorable. Um, but like yeah. a good most of the ones that are like front and center on camera are memorable. I feel like there is an essay to be written on the transformation of bad guy crews in movies in mm-hmm. blockbuster movies or action movies, because I think this kind of goes back to what we were saying about the change more from Die Hard into Die Hard 2 than anything of not being able to write McLean the same way because they were writing for this character who was mega popular and had Bruce Willis's performance layered on top of it. And then they were trying to hit that same vibe and they couldn't. I feel like there's something similar where a lot of action movies in the 80s and 90s would just have guys, just just dudes be the henchmen and they yeah. wouldn't really like yeah try to give them a particular twist or anything and not so much a twist maybe but a gimmick or like a this is what this person does this is what this person does they they wouldn't really stunt cast for them or anything it would just be like there's a crew uh you'll 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 get familiar with some of them through the course of the movie and then <laughs> indiana jones will put them through a propeller plane uh it's it's fine <laughs> like the they would just have guys show up that just do that and then Somewhere along the way, I feel like you, it, it transitions where like this movie, you've got parkour, parkour guy who I've just learned is also sniper guy. Uh, that that makes sense. That tracks. I did not realize that. And then Maggie Q, and then um, hacker guy. He's he's got a hacker henchman, right? Uh, <clears throat> who he's like talking in the ear of the whole time. Uh, Timothy Oliphant is, and so. that feels so much more like this is what this person does. This is what this, this guy's got a crew and every single person has to, has to be specific and be doing their own thing as opposed to just like, I don't know. He's going to, he's got a bunch of guys and they're memorable because the performance brings something out of them that you weren't expecting uh, because you have a good director or something like that. So I don't know. Or something like that. Or I also think there's, I'm maybe immediately, realize i'm wrong here but i feel like there was a more of a willingness in the 80s and 90s early 90s to let the villains be a little campier to let Mm -hmm. them be a little more not not literally goofy but to be more of like a character and not just an intimidating presence right um so that you get a hans gruber like i don't know if, if a movie could with the earnestness of die hard 2 now have a character do naked martial arts training at the beginning (laughs) of their movie and us all just be like that's hilarious and also i can still take him seriously i don't know talking about that was the opening scene of the batman that's paul (laughs) dano doing naked (laughs) naked naked martial arts he's doing he's doing naked riddles matt reeves you absolute coward (laughs) how how is a raven like a writing desk 
Look, good thing, good thing my doughy midsection is here to help me solve this. <laughs> Mr. Reeves, your movie just made over like $700 million. Uh, you've got a sequel on your hands. We've given you the opening scene right there. Naked Kata. <laughs> <laughs> if that's not the opening scene of that Colin Farrell penguin show. <laughs> what Batman villain would you most like to see do naked training at the beginning? <laughs> I'm, I'm of not Matt answering this. You wouldn't see it. It would be, it would be tasteful. You'd get no matter what I say, it'll be misconstrued. You'd no get, matter no, you what I say. No, you wouldn't. I'm pitching it. I say Killer Croc because he's already naked. Let the calendar man do the Sudoku <laughs> naked. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know how to get back on track from that. I, I know I want to get back on track from that. Um, one of the moments that made me, I, I think it's a smart moment in that it makes you realize what you're, what you're working with really quickly uh, is, is early on, which we haven't even really talked about the hacker aesthetic, which is happening in a movie in 2007 when this is like still a thing from like the early 2000s. I don't know that, that it feel, this movie feels about six years too late. Uh, and I don't know. There, there's, we can get into that. I love the moment where uh, Bruce Willis turns on uh, Creedence Clearwater yeah. in the truck and uh, Justin Long's like, this is terrible. It's like my, my eardrums are dying. Uh, and they just have a discussion about like how how kids these days don't get the, the good rock or whatever. Uh, it's great. I think that's that's funny and dumb, and that's what I was really hoping this movie would be when I learned the premise was John McClane teams up with a hacker. Uh, to fight hackers. To fight hackers, because that's just such a good... And to your point, Britton, they do actually, like, they have this whole thing with Kevin Smith that we can get into. There's there's several points that I want to do a deeper dive on here. Yeah, um, I think um, I, I can talk about kind of the development of the, the movie, and that'll lead directly into the Kevin Smith stuff, because his, well, his whole scene is kind of like, in terms of the production, that was like the centerpiece in terms of, what is this movie going to be? <laughs> sure. Um, but... McLean is in Kevin Smith's headquarters where he's in his basement. And he's got all his, his tech going on. Uh, and you see him very clearly notice uh, Kevin Smith's CB radio frequency, which is 66.6. Har har. Funny. Uh, his name's Warlock. I don't know. He's got a devil icon. Um, and it's a little early for noob master. Sure. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go down that road. Um, <laughs> it's it's a scene where McLean is like, "Oh, you got all this newfangled technology. What's going? What's what's all this about? Oh, you got a CB radio." And Kevin Smith's just kind of like, "Whatever, man. What are you doing?" Uh, and at the end of the movie, he contacts Kevin Smith through the CB radio because he remembers the frequency because he does actually know how this works, uh, and then gets back to the uh fbi peoples so i i think it does a good job of not having mclean be so set in his ways that he just like turns his nose up and, and doesn't uh try to connect with like justin long or um kevin smith or like 
he, he it's not that he totally shuns what they're doing he's like i'm gonna do it the old-fashioned way uh and i like that but i also like that the movie has the the very low-hanging fruit like the the older generation the new generation just don't get along <laughs> like that's that's fun to me i mean i would say if nothing else i mean you know character nuances aside i think john mcclain is still very consistent and mm-hmm. you know kind of a fine line between is it the writing or is it just bruce willis just yeah. bringing his performance into it and kind of making it okay now it is officially john mcclain because it's kind of been filtered through him yeah it he's still pretty consistent in terms of the character the movie just doesn't take a lot of opportunities to remind you who the character is yeah sure which is really strange for a movie that came out is it 10 years after uh 14 well we 12 years after some years after uh it's it's weird to not really like focus in and remind audiences like this is what this guy's about you don't have to lampshade it with a you know a, a, a retrospective news uh article on, or news news reporting on the the nakatomi tower sure heist you, you don't have to go that far but it feels weird to not really oh. establish his character and be like you guys know who john mcclain is like, what, what well do we still know who john Web- mcclain is it's been a while the, mo- the movie like- opens with webster's dictionary's definition of john mcclain <laughs> yippee kaya i mean to I, be I, honest for the I, purposes of watching a pot or watching movies for a podcast every week, I was fine with that. Sure. <laughs> but it yeah, been you're cool right. As I've been like, hey, do you have the Nakatomi app? <laughs> hey, movies. Um, John, <laughs> uh, I didn't hate Yippie Kaye in this movie. And maybe it's because at this point I've just accepted that they're going to shoehorn it everywhere. Sure. But how did they build to it in some kind of way about like, was it outgoing voicemail? What is it? How do they build to it? Tim Sanyipikaye? Well, it's at the very end where yeah. uh, John's been shot and Timothy Oliphant like, grabs him and puts the gun into like where he's been shot. Sure. Um, I can't remember what Timothy Oliphant well, says before Timothy that. Oliphant says, you're just a guy, or the, on your tombstone, they'll say, oh, that's you, you're a guy who's always been in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's oh, yeah. Which that's is, it. like, a thing. I don't know how often that's, does does Hans Gruber say that to him at any point, or he, he might say it in the third one? I don't yeah, remember. I I think Bruce I don't Willis know if it's been it directly mentioned in dialogue in the movies. I I want to say it actually might be in the second one at some point. Yeah. He says it to himself, uh, like "Oh, you're always a guy who's in the wrong place at the wrong time" or something like that. Yeah, maybe it has. Um, I can't remember. I I know they they openly say it multiple times in like interviews and behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. The the phrasing has been in these movies because I haven't watched anything else. Yeah, like connected to these and the phrasing that phrasing has been in these movies and that kind of came out of nowhere in this and I thought that was very jarring and clunky. Uh, and then, he, so does he shoot Timothy Oliphant through himself? Yes. He shoots through the bullet I, hole that's already there. I have recommendations on the ending that we can get into on, on, <laughs> on how they should go back in time and fix the ending of this. Uh, and we'll I, talk about that. I'm interested because <laughs> I, I do think that ending is a little bit lackluster, much like uh, the last one was um, mostly because yeah. I, I don't like the airplane sequence, but we can get to that. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the script development 
because I, I didn't, I think I had heard this before, but I didn't quite realize this. The process for each of the Die Hard sequels is that Bruce Willis and the producers basically take a script that's just been written, like just an action movie script, and they turn it into a Die Hard movie. Mm. So that's the process. Okay. So apparently this one was just like a post 9-11. It's based on some article from Wired. Yeah. Um, About like how a systematic attack on um the United States' infrastructure, like you could just mess everything up. Like that's where it comes from, which is very weird, but interesting. Um, Well, that's, I mean, that's where, uh, I guess they just did that at the time yeah. and in that era because Fast and Furious I remember we talked about that also being based off of like an article about people selling or stealing DVDs or something like that. Right. Uh, so that is, I guess that was just a viable way to find a plot for an action movie back in the day. <laughs> just, just open your newspaper. It's right there. Take an um, article and make it point break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But so, so basically they, they decided to turn that into a diehard movie. But they kept, like, rewriting it and rewriting it while they were shooting the movie. And in particular, and this would um, probably go along with why we feel like the villains are kind of weak, they didn't know what to do about kind of explaining away plot holes and giving the villain motivation and explaining just what the heck's going on. And, all by the way, all of this is coming from uh, Kevin Smith. Um, he did, like... He he's done several stand-up shows, but um, there was one in particular where we talked about his experience on on Die Hard Four, um, and he talked about how basically when he came on board to do that warlock scene, they had been kicking the can down the road of like all the important important plot exposition we're going to get done in this warlock scene, mm-hmm. um, and they finally get to it and they're like, crap, we don't know what to do, <laughs> and so Kevin Smith eventually goes. The, the, this was originally supposed to be a one day shoot for this scene. It turned into five days um, sure. and there's no explosions or shooting or anything. It's just right. three guys talking to each other. Um, but eventually he was like, guys, if you tell me all the information you need to relay, I will write down, I will write this scene for you. Um, and so basically he wrote that entire scene, which is why he has most of the dialogue. And of course mm-hmm. he's doing all the exposition. Um, so that's kind of how Kevin Smith be- became acquainted with Bruce Willis in the first place. And then, you know, we, we don't need to talk about the rest of that because they had a falling out. But then, you know, uh, got complicated. Um, but that's not how you're supposed to write a movie. <laughs> it sounds like after that, they were able to kind of get their ducks in a row and get it figured out. But it was just kind of the core of your movie is like this single scene where it's just like we're getting just tons of exposition out. And if you're going to have anyone do it, Kevin Smith w- yeah. is, a, is not a bad choice. But it's just... Come on, like, don't just spell your villain's motivations out through Kevin Smith talking about it. Like, I don't know. Give, give all of us something well, to do. That's the jelly in the middle of the donut, man. <laughs> <laughs> for, a, for a movie like this, I feel like it kind of works. And I think... That oh, it's, it's, not, it's not terrible by any means. It's perfectly serviceable. But I think to go that extra mile, and particularly you need to strengthen your villains, don't just have... Well, just a centerpiece exposition scene like that. I think that is also kind of the key part where the villains fall flat is there's a twist to everyone's motivations in the past three movies where the first movie Gruber is evidently a terrorist, but actually he's trying to steal 
a bunch of stuff from this vault that's in this tower. And in the second movie, uh, there's Sadler working with the military, but he's actually got, uh, or Sadler working with his band of ex-military people, but he's actually got another guy on the inside. And so the big thing is like, just when you think that they've gotten everyone sorted away, uh, the military guys are also turn tail and, uh, or turn tail, turn the tables, turn something and turn coats, uh, inside out. And (laughs) I guess that's where that phrase came from. I don't know. Let's look it up. (laughs) But you got this thing on the the hacker's dictionary. That's on the hacker's dictionary. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's make sure they add it. If, uh, it's not in there. Um, it actually it, comes from. Yeah, uh, 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 may I speak, sir? No, S- no, senator. Senator, may I speak? No, no. Tyler, continue. <laughs> Tyler, continue. Well, now I now I want to know. Did you turn coat? Turn coat comes from the ancient practice of wearing a badge or pin on one's coat, signifying the party or leader that you support supported. So by turning your co- quote coat, you quite literally hid your allegiance to others. So it's like if I had a a pin that said. Uh, marvel forever mm-hmm. and i flipped it that says uh dc for big boys then you know <laughs> i'm a turncoat you get that from the official uh zach snyder merch store <laughs> actually i'm kind of i wish i'd come up wish i'd come up with a better reference but that's you know sometimes you just go with the first impulse i've got that pin it has a picture of doomsday on it excuse me it's very <laughs> very neat uh <laughs> so you have that going on in die hard to die harder uh and then die harder with a vengeance there is we talked about this this kind of twisty narrative where uh simon gruber is stealing the gold from the federal reserve so that he can sink it but actually he's not sinking it because he's keeping it for himself and so all of these have a layer to them at least of kind of what the villain's really about and there's some sort of reveal and in this one there's just the one reveal and it's just like oh now we know what they're looking for or now we know what they're trying to do it's not okay we think they're doing one thing but they're doing this totally a totally different other thing Uh, i guess kind of the idea is that they are trying to do this and so they're i i guess there's kind of a attempt at a twist of them actually getting at all the money in the internets uh, by doing this thing, but there's no, that's not replacing what we thought they were doing. There's not like a, yeah. Oh, we're, we're pretty sure these guys are just trying to take down the U S and they're, you know, these guys from Russia or whatever that are doing all this hacking. It's, it's just like, we don't know what's going on. Everything's falling apart. There's some hackers. They're doing hacking stuff. And then it's it's revealed, oh, they're they're gonna do all this and then they can get out some money. Uh and so like there's the the backstory of Timothy Olyphant's character is uh an ex military dude who figured out that the system was super weak and, and so he could exploit that. And so there's that's like an interesting angle, but they don't really take it anywhere. And he doesn't really commit to it, and he kind of just wants the money. Also, uh, yeah, I thought it was kind of not... lame when it we did get the reveal, and and John is just like, "Wait, you're just after this for you're just after money," and then uh, Timmy the Elephant has some line like, 
should I not be paid for my efforts? And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's that's all that's all you're giving us, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's not a reveal so much as an explanation. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> like, yeah. There's there's not that big like, oh, snap, that's what they're doing. Okay. It's it's like an add-on. It's not a twist. Yeah. 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 Did you guys realize that Han was in this movie from uh, Fast and Furious? I did. He's one of Where? like it, it, towards the beginning in the FBI. He's one of the he has a ponytail and he's like one of the computer yeah. guys explaining stuff. That was Sun yeah. Kang. There he is in the movie. I wish Good he had him. a couple action scenes. That would have been fun. That would have been great if when the because then the evil hacker like pull a gun and kill a bunch of people. If Han had just like. Yeah jumped up like carl and like just completely decimated him i <laughs> had just driven a car onto him and <laughs> as long as i'm touching you were a at car your desk. How was the... as long as i'm touching a car i can't be harmed he has a transformer desk computer <laughs> thing uh i want just looks at the camera and says justice is coming and like there's no there, no explanation <laughs> that's the last wanna, we see of him i want to address the the hacking in this is Again, it's it's just like this is what people in the '90s and early 2000s thought hacking was, and this movie decided people still did that, uh, even though it was never true in the first place. So fine, whatever. Like uh, I think the overall hacking aesthetic works pretty well for this, uh, and is is fun, and 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 that's fine. Uh, <laughs> the the opening plot of this is that all of the hackers that helped make the algorithm. Uh, have C4 attached to their computer by the bad guys. And when their computers freeze up because of a virus, they all press delete. And that blows up the C4. I don't know why they're doing this or like, I don't know what Yeah. I, I kind of thought like, okay, Justin Long's character, he's going to show up and, and he's going to think it like it, it for a second. I thought it was going to be okay. I'm, he's He's going to press delete but then he thinks better of it right before he presses it. And he's like, wait a minute. And he like does some hacking and he's like the best hacker ever. And that's how he figures out that his computer's going to explode. If he does anything like I, I thought there was going to be something there, but no, he just doesn't press delete because John McClane shows up and knocks at his door. Uh, so I still don't really understand why that's where, what they do to turn off their yeah. computer or whatever they were trying to do. Well, it is weird that they're like, is this a virus? I'll delete it. <laughs> Yeah, like there, <laughs> that's the way no, you fix the computer. There's no like, yeah. The obvious thing would be the power button, right? Or it's the same thing as um, the end of the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie, where Ben Urich is writing an article and spoilers for the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie, <laughs> my my favorite movie of all time. Wait, he hold gets, on, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, I actually haven't get, seen it. He gets <laughs> to the end of writing this article of like Matt Murdock is Daredevil. And it literally shows, like, the camera is his finger of, like, do I hit print or do I hit delete? And it's just, like, a Word document. And he hits <laughs> delete, and it it just starts, like, backspacing, like, the entire article. And he doesn't keep his button, his his finger on the button or anything. It's just, like, like it, it doesn't make any sense. That's great. Matt Maybe Murdoch that... is Daredevil. <laughs> no i'm just like did they put there's a another one on screenwriters using computers to write scripts for like 15 years yeah like did they just yeah. say you cannot you have pencil and paper gentlemen typewriter 
artist storyboards that you've scribbled over like yeah. just anything except an actual well because you have to rip it off and then throw it you in gotta, the wastebasket everyone for a while was forced to write the exact same way george martin george r martin writes <laughs> where he's got his old like 90s computer that yeah types on with i presume like the the two-finger type method mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh everyone has <laughs> had to do that for at least 20 years it's a very dark time and that's actually t- what the writer strike in 2009 <laughs> that's that's all that was about yeah yeah uh, that was that was just hey guys we gotta we gotta be able to at least use like windows xp uh, and have like you know just give us 64 megabytes of ram that's all we're asking for. See, th- this is this is when alex kurtzman realized he was like i gotta work my way up the ranks i can't just be a writer forever i gotta move up to director and then showrunner right. i've got to change the system right and you and- know what doesn't matter what he's writing he's writing it on a nice 2019 imac yeah he's got two monitors he's got a nice kind of webcam setup for when he's he's zooming people uh he's got an optimus prime bobblehead that he can always look at for reassurance yeah like come on now and then Tyrion, Tyrion used key on lock (laughs) (laughs) um i have two thoughts about the hackers one they might have pressed delete because i thought they would turn into freakazoid sure in which case that's exactly what i would have done and uh is this the virus I've been waiting for? <laughs> oh, man, are you kidding me? If I could have snazzy red tights and lightning in my hair, ah, uh, ah, uh, what a day I'd have! <laughs> oh, oh, what a what a caprice I would <laughs> I would embark upon. <laughs> um, that's a pretty actually that show is probably a pretty key part of my backstory now that I'm thinking about it. Um, the other thing is this movie also did not do, and this is both to its credit and detriment. It didn't have a scene of two people typing on the same keyboard to do hacking better, like sure. in that was CSI or whatever the show they did that was. Mm-hmm. Uh glorious. Did they seriously do that? Oh yeah, one person's on uh, like trying to fight off a hacker, and they're like, "I can't do it." And I'm, it's Mark Harmon, so maybe it's NCIS. Is like, "Here, move over," and then he starts typing on the other side of the keyboard. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. I, I'm I'm a big old dummy, and even I know that's not how that works. <laughs> It's, it's it's so good. It's the only way to complete Fire and Flames on Expert. On Guitar Hero, so. <laughs> I mean, all right, that's the exception. <laughs> I um, for a minute, I was like, I haven't played that Witcher DLC. Interesting. <laughs> Pretty sure it's Blood and Wine, dude. <laughs> How did we feel about the action scenes overall? Um, I yeah. I felt like they were actually quite strong. Until you get to that airplane truck scene, and then it just goes off the rails in a not good way. Uh, this movie, I, I feel two ways about it. I really like how much it relied on, for the most part, physical stunt work. Yeah, and I really liked that. The editing was too quick for me. We all know my my spiel about editing. However, I, I felt the same. Yeah, with action sequences, I, I reminded myself today. I, I, I sometimes I have to remember that they sometimes they do quick cuts for safety reasons. It's not. Because when you have a bunch of, you know, just absolute top-notch veterans doing the raid or John Wick or something, you can do a long take because they're going to handle the whole thing pretty smoothly. But as opposed to, not that these got ta- some ta- performers in this one aren't super talented, but it's like, I understand sometimes you may do a quick cut because you're like, just do the punch. It's safer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I felt the editing was a bit quick, but otherwise I, I like how much of it relied on 
Let's and just I, not work. Let's come up with concepts. I did not really find myself struggling with the the editing in some of that. Like there were a couple of scenes where I was like, "This is a fist fight that I I actually really like. It just is going well. Like the 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 punch, the the effect, like everything is is cut well. Like it's very clear." I felt like this did not push it over the top in terms of the quick cuts to where you couldn't understand what was happening. Um, and that's usually my concern. Is it, what's the movie? Is it Mission Impossible 2 that I'm thinking of that starts off with a weird car chase? Do you know what I'm talking about, Alex? Does this ring a bell at all? A car chase that's just like impossible to parse. Well, I mean, Quantum of Solace is the one that you're actually. Yes, I, th- I think there, it is. There yeah. is a very bizarre car chase towards the beginning of Mission Impossible 2. But I think what you're actually talking about is Probably my so. my actual favorite movie, which is not the Ben Affleck <laughs> Daredevil movie. It is Quantum of Solace. <laughs> right. right. Um, and, and we've we've watched movies like that where the action is just I I'm not even trying to follow what you're doing here. Yeah. Uh, this one, I think, gets just close enough a lot of the time that you can tell that probably any time that it's not super clear or not super apparent what's going on. It's probably because they didn't have the footage probably because it was, if they play that a second longer, you would see the punch miss or whatever the case may be. Um, So I, I, for the most part enjoyed it aside from the, the action truck plane scene, which we can talk about and I'm ready to get into whenever we feel like, but I feel like we have more to cover. Yeah. I think the, the reason and this is I'm, I'm going to keep harping on this because this is what I like about Die Hard and what I like about John McClane as a character. Every single scene, barring that that plane scene, we show him get beat up and bruised. And like the fact that he launches a car at a helicopter should be the dumbest thing in the world. The movie somehow sells it. And I think part <laughs> of what helps is that like his face is like super cut up mm-hmm. after that. And he's just kind of sitting there like, yeah, I think I'm done for the day. And then he he's like limping the rest of the movie. Yeah. It's great. Like, if you're going to have your character do something that crazy, have some consequences. It'll help sell it better. Um, So I think, like, I, I just think modern action movies should take note of, like, you can get away with some ridiculous stuff that would not work in the real world. But you just have to sell it properly. And I, I, I feel like that... That should have been the biggest that the movie went in terms of this is like the most ridiculous thing John McClane's going to get away with. Um, but then we get to that airplane truck scene. And for me, really what it comes down to is him jumping onto the plane and then sliding down yeah. the road that's kind of like yeah. broken. And it's like, no, there would be nothing left. He would just be like a bloody smear on the road. Like yeah. that would tear up his entire body. That's not yeah. how that works. Uh, yes, and also it looks terrible. Yeah, it's, it's not great. <laughs> and that's that's the one scene that has to overly rely on, on CGI. I, it almost looks unfinished. <laughs> um, it, it's a little weird. It's, it's very jarring. Because uh, if anyone has not seen it, uh, the fighter jet basically starts flying down between some bridges uh while mama clan is driving a truck and they're going around this big spinny bridge area like a spaghetti junction sure and it it just looks like they've got models that they pulled off of they weren't like free 
uh, 3D models for like 3D model assets for Blender or whatever, but they were not as 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 pricey as maybe they should have been. They, they, they were, weren't as pricey the, as the highways they were using for Transformers the the next lot over. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, and it it just like the entire thing sort of loses a sense of physics and uh gravity and stakes uh and eventually mclean like hops a bridge and tries to drive up a ramp and the truck gets stuck and then the truck falls back down and he he runs through it and jumps on the plane uh and the guy ejects from the plane the pilot does who the pilot (laughs) the timothy oliphant hacks into the system and talks to the pilot and pretends to be uh the like dispatcher or whatever and he's like hey you got full authority just murder this dude this guy this guy in the truck he's the bad guy and so the the pilot's just like all right all right man and just like all i need starts blasting and does not give a shred of care if anyone is in the way i think there's at least a couple of cars that you see that are still driving or something uh that get hit and I, I do like the bit where like the plane gets like just a few feet like above the road just to like have a stare down with yes. with yeah. John's truck and it's like no he wouldn't do that. Uh, Alex is in the air force. Correct. <laughs> Inspired by his actual actual favorite movie, Planes. I was gonna say Top Gun. Um, they. McLean gets out and then he tracks down our villain boy in a warehouse and then they fail to escape and then McLean shoots through himself to kill Timothy Elephant and then it's like, all right, did it. And then they leave. Uh, I say, forget the plane, forget all of it, skip, skip all of that, throw it out. You clearly fat. clearly did not have time to get that in in good order. Uh and the the biggest like the point where I was like, oh, okay, never mind, I guess we're just kind of writing this out. It's fine. Um <laughs> McLean pulls the uh or gets in the truck and he starts messing with the radio. And I thought for sure he was gonna start playing some credence <laughs> and this was gonna be how he like yeah. drives up to the the van and like somehow he he does a big jump or like he sw- he swings the semi truck over like he he, he fishtails it and, and like the trailer like knocks the hazmat van off off course and that was going to be like like somehow there was going to be this sort of fast and furious-esque sequence where he he gets into this van and, and punches out timothy oliphant and, and saves the day uh and i feel like that would have been just a lot more clean would have been more fun uh would have found could have found some cooler way for a villain to die. Uh, I don't know what exactly that would need to be, but maybe he like, I don't know, gets thrown into the, the semi truck as it's like driving off the bridge or whatever. Uh, do, do something like that. Kill, kill another person in this movie with a vehicle while they're inside it. I don't know. Do something like that. <laughs> um, Cause that would be like the only thematic thing to do. I, I don't I just know. What's, want a slow what's a motion? Good... I, I need, I need a bit where it's like, uh, um, Timothy Oliphant and his guys are driving like under a bridge and they're like where'd he go and just like above them like you just see John's truck just like <laughs> soaring off and, and Bad Moon Rising <laughs> starts playing as he crashes into them 
<laughs> That's what I'm saying. I really <laughs> thought we were going to get that. Instead, he pulls up the CB radio, which is also a nice pick because he gets to, we get to pull back to Kevin Smith real quick. Yeah. Um, and like that's that's a fun little mini arc relationship thing. But I really thought that's what we were getting. It does. There is some credence song that plays at the end of the movie, which is fun, too. And I figured that I kind of figured that wasn't going to be a setup without a payoff. That just didn't. That felt like for whatever trust I had in this movie, it. it it had I had enough in it that I knew it would meet that, but I really thought that was gonna be like he's just gonna blast this and he's gonna find a way. Maybe maybe there's a stoplight involved because they stopped all the stoplights and he says some pun like, uh, "Hey, red red means uh, stop" or something like that, and then he decapitates him with the traffic light. <laughs> red <laughs> means <laughs> live free or die hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he just says this is america and then he just lifts a traffic light the size of himself and crushes timothy all with it. red yellow and green i prefer the red white and blue <laughs> so, something something like that um and i'm proud to be an american <laughs> and no uh, fortunate son yeah i did feel like the movie actually did a good job of not getting too far into the post 9-11 rah-rah sure, yeah. isn't America just super awesome like sure sure, sure. I, I feel like the movie it avoids that very very mm-hmm. nicely because it's like very clearly John John McClane is very like he's an underdog character he's supposed to be he is a police officer but he's supposed to be just like a a normal a more normal American citizen yeah um yeah. So it very much is supposed to have like that everyman American energy, um, but it doesn't veer into the he's like stabbing Timothy Oliphant with an American flag, or something, <laughs> you know. Okay, but just that, you know, well, just like Iwo Jima. Let's, <laughs> let's not get too hasty here. Let's not rule out any ideas before we fully consider them. He grabs a bust of George Washington and just beats him to death. The wisdom. They, <laughs> this is a check and imbalance system, and he pushes him off a bridge. Mm-hmm. He somehow gets uh, the Timothy Olyphant is flying a plane that that blows up when it hits the Statue of Liberty's torch, something to that effect. Sure, sure. I I I would not be against it. Um, <laughs> Looks like I need to pres- presidential seal that wound up. <laughs> is another <laughs> political thing. Uh, they do actually too. I I, I want to say there's a moment in this where they say after the 9/11 attacks he was hired to like evaluate national security. I could be wrong. I believe, I think but so. I think they, there, there's they an actually, allusion to like post 9/11 security and stuff. Yeah, and they actually but, I thought that was interesting. They actually yeah. reference it without having to be like we have to address this in some way. Or we have to right, like, right make this a big deal that we're referencing this. Aside from like you all know the context. Yes. Yeah we're trying to make this you know feel grounded here yeah. this is like a thing that could have happened yeah um, and also just the the bad guys aren't uh middle eastern <laughs> yeah. yeah we, we didn't yeah. have to veer into like super awkward are we just like being offensive <laughs> territory yeah. Like, yeah. um just avoid that altogether um yeah. yeah i think the closest we really get to it is like they, they do that video where it's splicing together footage of a bunch of different presidents yeah. to yeah, piece together yeah. the speech um, I do Which like the line neat. at the end where the guy was like, I was trying to look for more Nixon. <laughs> I, 
I like to imagine that it was that movie that spawned all the videos of like the president sing baby got back. <laughs> Someone saw Die Hard and they were like, that's pretty good. But what if it were or, a stank? Or an early version of the president sings baby got back was then that was inspired oh. the inspiration for them putting it. Like, oh, we could do something cool with that. Lynn Wiseman saw that and went, but what if it was evil? <laughs> More than it already is. Of <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, uh, probably the last day. The, the anaconda of the American movie going public does want this. <laughs> what if? What if? Uh, what? What if uh, he he killed them with a bunch of change? Like he dumped a bunch of change on him, and he was like, "I got your presidents right here." <laughs> Some something like that. Something <laughs> to that effect. Yeah. And he's like, yes, don't carry cash. I'm an American. Debit cards. Ugh, God, I hate them. He just goes on a rant for 20 minutes about the banking system. <laughs> that, uh, no, the scene where he, he um, Justin Long is like, oh, don't use your cell phone. They could be listening in. They could whatever. And then Bruce Willis just breaks it. And he's like, oh, well, you didn't have to do that. And then he starts taking out his credit cards and cutting them up. Too. <laughs> he's like, no, you, they, no, they haven't even touched that. Burning his fingerprints. Man, what, what would John have to say about crypto, huh? Oh man, he should do stand up. <laughs> they, they wouldn't let John McClane on Twitter today. Probably. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, John wouldn't be on Twitter. Have, let's be honest. He'd have he'd have ten followers. John's still playing original RuneScape. <laughs> don't worry about that. The one. Uh, kind of lingering note that i had how did you guys feel about the pg-13 rating it didn't really register for me yeah and i don't know why that is or why in comparison to the rest of the movies i'm trying to think of what real i mean i guess the language is the biggest thing but like some of the violence we, is more visceral in the original ones but it wasn't it, it's not like they were nerfing bone tomahawk or something right yeah the the language i think is so intense in the last one that's kind of like yeah. oh it's nice to have a break from that <laughs> yeah it's like ah, these there guys is, everyone's a little bit a little bit more relaxed everyone's a little bit more chill in this yeah there is an quote-unquote extended cut which is it's like eight seconds longer um <laughs> it's, it's just john mcclain saying piss but with a really long <laughs> hold on the eye <laughs> And that's that's when he shoots himself and kills instead of the dramatic pan over of our dead villain. It um it basically adds in like uh, CG blood effects to people getting shot. Like it's sure. it's a, apparently kind of lame. And I think Lynn Wiseman has even said he was like, "Yeah, I was originally planning on shooting an R-rated movie, but just with the crazy production and yeah. the fact that it was the most expensive Die Hard movie, they basically made me go PG-13 instead." um do they also have like sunglasses come down over john mcclain's uh mm. face at one point like the joint animated and everything? <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 no that's the next one um <laughs> but my but but most of my friends called me giorgio <laughs> and then he like pushes the guy <laughs> <laughs> um he kills he kills timothy Alfred by saying like you don't understand I was born John <laughs> Gruber. <laughs> and then he... I do think it's a little lame that the Yippie Kaye has to get nerfed. Um, 
Yeah. Which is fine because he it gets cut off by him shooting himself, which it's fine. Oh yes, yeah, I didn't even catch it then. I thought he just said it. Yeah, no, the audio cuts off right as he huh. shoots I only, himself. I only um, knew it because the subtitles. Yeah, spoiled that he did, would not say it. <laughs> um, which I mean, I I think the movie and, and this I think this is a good example of why I get so confused at like certain movies that go PG thirteen, but they just have no blood. Um, yeah. X-Men Origins Wolverine, good example. Um, people are cutting each other up left and right in that movie, and there's next to no blood. And it's like, this movie is PG-13, came out a couple of years before that, and John McClane's covered in blood for, like, his face is just all scratched yeah. up for most of the movie. Um, so I think th- this movie really, like, despite They're not trying being... to sell diehard toys, man. <laughs> right. It's all about merch. Despite it being PG-13, I think it still is able to get away with quite a bit. Um... And also, apparently, the extended cut has, um, like, alternate takes with more explicit dialogue. So, I don't know if that would... I'm, I've am i never seen it. Maybe I'd watch it and be like, wow, this is just really distracting. It feels like they just chose a bunch of alternate takes instead of what actually worked for the scene. I don't know. Is it like, what is this? It's Creedence Clearwater Revival. It sounds like butt. <laughs> and that's... The... <laughs> so they, there's actually about 25 versions of that scene with different music oh <laughs> uh, sort of it was sort of a combination of like they had to get a feel for what would work and also they didn't know what rights they would have until sure sure the they kind of went through production so the fox executives like, kept pushing for some 41 they thought that was <laughs> that really fit the vibe and <laughs> bruce willis was like this is the good stuff man <laughs> So yeah, some forty one, classic rock, nice. Yeah. Justin Long's like this sounds like butt. <laughs> what is this? It's puddle of mud. You don't. <laughs> you what, you what don't is... like? You gonna tell me you don't like Daughtry? What is this? It's the Trinity for Hiroshima, man. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> What's this? It's Aida by Verdi. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Literally just listening to Bolero. I don't. <laughs> The original Broadway cast album of The Secret Garden from 1991. <laughs> you don't like Lucy Simon? Get out of my car. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I want to revisit. He should have... That that third act needs to end with him killing the... Uh, killing our villain with a sweet guitar riff. That's all I'm saying. Oh, man. <laughs> Please. <laughs> uh i'm replaying my favorite video game chrono cross one of my favorite video games and there is a character in there whose attacks are playing a guitar and it does damage and depending on what like level of attack you do it's like or or and that does the most damage and it's awesome it's fantastic I think that's how he should kill Timothy Oliphant. I was going to say, Britain, uh, you should have done the sound design for Live For Your Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, <he> <laughs> it's me in a booth going, okay, so I think for this one, it's going to be like a... <laughs> for, all the, for all the punches, it's like a... <laughs> <laughs> this man is a genius. <laughs> a cat, Denis Villeneuve's like, get that man. One day I'll make Dune and I need him. I need him. Yeah, fun. All, all the all the sort of glottal uh, yeah. harmonizing and everything. All all that stuff in Dune. That's Britain. It's all me. Fun fact. When, when, this, is, this is one of the ships landing. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Can you do uh, 
the sound mixing they did for uh, Timothy Timothy Chalamet's voice. Can you can you show us how they reproduced Timothy Chalamet's voice? Yeah, so basically, uh, it was just me, but I got one of like a red solo cup, and I was just like, "Give me the water." <laughs> do you want to do you want to hear the sound effect I pitched for a still suit? Splurt. Yeah. It's it's kind of like a slurp sound. Surprised they didn't go with that one. Yeah, it was weird, but you know, we still got the Oscar. It <laughs> would have been great if there had been like the Academy Award for sound goes to Dune, and then you just heard me going, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Hollywood dreams. A little bit. Um, final note. Uh, Patrick Totopoulos helped with the production design, and I caught that, and I was like, our boy has returned. <laughs> Lynn Wiseman uh, did props, I think, for like Men in Black and Godzilla. I think he worked on the art in the art department for Godzilla, so he must have he and Lynn must have made a connection. Hey, Lynn, what if I made this rebar more wet? All right, I like uh, one day, one day, Patrick. I'm gonna pay you back. I I I like. I, I like I like this. This is a positive spin on the worst movie we've ever watched for this podcast, actually leading to some nice things. They're apparently making a Call of Duty and a Godzilla vs. Kong game. Like, you do a Call of Duty in Godzilla vs. Kong. It's called Warzone. Hmm. And uh, I like to imagine, because I, I thought, oh, what if Bruce Willis fought Godzilla? And I think that's what it's going to be. There is a... There was a like season pass like event something rather with Call of Duty Warzone. I play Call of Duty. I I don't play Warzone because I don't I don't I, that style doesn't really work for me. There was a event where they had like '80s action heroes with John McClane and I think John Rambo. Oh wow! So potentially, if somebody has the John McClane skin, they could fight Godzilla and King Kong. I don't know all right, how then. all that works, but that's 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 your mission out there, listeners. There you mm-hmm. go. <laughs> send us a video send yeah. us a video that'd be good and still looking for shrek memes yeah <laughs> always open door is always open to shrek oh, memes. oh man come on by live free or send shrek memes mm-hmm. i'm giving free die hard 4.0 a c plus i am also going c plus uh i'm gonna be i'm just gonna go with my gut and give it a d i just couldn't get there a d for die hard we had to get there at some point yeah i assume we're all gonna overshot and give the next one f's so yeah i yeah we'll see what happens (laughs) i don't know i i think overall i mean definitely i would i would argue there is a downward trend which is hard not hard to follow when you're starting with die hard like yeah that that tracks uh but Definitely. Uh, not not only is this has this been a a solid, consistent franchise. It's also uh, a movie shorter than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> None of these nice. movies are two and a half hour. I think the first Die Hard yes. is the longest one. The moment I knew that I was not going to hate this movie was when I realized the runtime was just over two hours. Yeah. Uh, I was like, all right. Mm. And and right. N- none of these movies. I think this is for me has been the steepest decline from the three to four. But mm. it still was not as steep a drop off as we've gotten in other franchises. Like, I do th- like I, I do think it's been a steady decline, but not. This has not been just like a straight drop. Yeah, yeah. It's it's honestly been pretty solid. So, 
Um, speaking of another movie that has a sort of bond being formed, but in a way that I didn't buy as much, my recommendation for this week, uh, I finally watched 2017's Hostiles, or Hostiles, depending on how you want to put it, a uh, movie by Scott Cooper. Um, it is a Western where a, uh, it takes place in 1892, an army captain, played by Christian Bale, is tasked with returning uh, a dying prisoner played by Wes Studi. He's a, uh, I believe a Cheyenne chief and his family to their uh, homeland in Montana because Wes Studi's character is dying and he wants to go home and he's been a model prisoner. So they let that happen. Along the way, they run into um, Rosamund Pike, whose family was killed by uh, a sort of band of uh, Comanche um, extremists, I guess, um, at the beginning of the movie. And it's it's a movie about that trip. Um, it is a the the caveats I'll give are that I think the script is a little messy. I think it's, yeah, it's a little messy. Um, and it is very much a movie about the white guy, which is it's definitely been done way worse. Um, but there are times when you I mean was like, like an Avatar. <laughs> yeah, probably honestly. And it's it, it's a movie that I think. West Duty could have used some more screen time, maybe a stronger arc for Rosamund Pike. Um, and it is a very harsh movie. I, I would put it, it, it's more harsh than like the Coen Brothers True Grit, but it never gets as brutal as like the third act of Bone Tomahawk. So it's mm. kind of there in the middle. The opening scene does have two young girls and a baby get killed on screen. Uh, it's not, it's not overdone, but it is frank. So heads up about that. But after that, I think that's probably the roughest thing that happens in the movie. Um, the upside is that I think it's really well made. There's some beautiful scenery, and the acting is phenomenal. Uh, I, I definitely think it's one of Christian Bale's best performances. I'm tempted to say it's his best. He is oh, wow. spectacular in this movie. I mean, it is a tremendous performance. His the One of the things about the movie is it, it's kind of about like the cyclical nature of bigotry and cruelty and how just violence begets more violence and you're you're pr- you you see this horrible act of violence committed by native americans against white people and then the very next scene you're seeing cruelty from white people to native americans like y- you very easily get the sense of like this is this is just a botched relationship at this point and it's about how hate just spreads and reproduces by budding and and you can't you you, you can't like out violence violence you know um and christian bale just his character goes from just the the extent of cruelty to just utter kindness. The way he he interacts with Rosamund Pike is such a beautiful relationship, and then it, it's really incredible work from him. Rosamund Pike is fantastic as as always. West Studi is great, and the it's a big big cast. I won't list all the actors in it because it would take too long, but just like go on IMDb and look at it. It is crazy the caliber of actors and the number of actors of that caliber they get to be in this movie. Some are major characters, some just pop in for a scene where you'll just be watching it. And like, here's one, like, that's Scott Wilson from The Walking Dead. That's crazy. Um, but he he is one of many tremendous actors in this movie. Everybody's good in it. Um, if you like Westerns, definitely watch it. If you like Christian Bale, absolutely watch it. He's brilliant in it. Um, I, I did really like it. Uh, also under two and a half hours. <laughs> and uh, But it is a little grisly, so, you know still yourself and and it's like many modern westerns it's kind of slow but it really won me over after a while so i do recommend it with those caveats uh and it's called hostiles and it's streaming on hulu 
uh, as of right now. So, Britain, right uh, would you would you say that's kind of some good preparatory work uh, before you watch Thor: Love and Thunder, where he's going to be portraying Gore the God Butcher? Uh. Do you think that that's maybe like a good? Like, I think it's good to see his current zenith because I'm sure he's going to outdo himself. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, yeah, I figure you know. I forgot he was going to be in that, and I just got so excited for that movie. To be to be clear, he's going to be in it, and he's going to be playing Gore the God Butcher. I think that that's I just like important. To, it's probably going to look a little bit like a sort of a, a Voldemort dude with a hood, something along those lines. <laughs> pretty good. It's going to be yeah. pretty good. Uh, move over hostels. Uh, Get ready yeah. for Thor. <laughs> I can't wait to see the like side by side of his character in Hostels and his character in, the, <laughs> in, in Thor. <laughs> yeah, he's and there's also some really good facial hair game throughout okay. various okay. characters in the movie. Uh, again, crazy cast and man, Christian Bale's always good, but it's one of those things where you see like Robert De Niro at the top of his game. You're like, oh yeah, that's why he's Robert De Niro. It's it's that level of work from Christian Bale, I think. So. Who else? Tyler? I got nothing. Um, Tyler recommends Zaxby's. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, yeah. Once in a blue moon. On the right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I started Moon Knight. I'll talk about it when I'm done with it. I like it so far. And then I, I rewatched Zodiac. I, I should be watching mm. new things. But I decided to rewatch Zodiac on a whim. It's like a three-hour movie. No big deal. <laughs> but, uh, but another stacked cast. Yes, another stacked cast. Oh, I, that That is... This is probably my favorite David Fincher movie. I think it's sure. just kind of immaculate. And I highly recommend that. for, Particularly because... if it, For people that maybe watch just more broader um, pop culture movies. And that, you know if you saw the Batman and you really like that. I think Zodiac would also kind of... Mm scratch that itch because obviously the riddler is inspired partially by the zodiac killer um but there's a lot of kind of common ground between those two movies and it's, it's very good and david yeah. Fincher knows what he's doing which is why eventually i will watch mank i don't know <laughs> when i don't know where yeah. uh downey's really good probably on your phone probably on my my <laughs> freaking phone <laughs> um, yes robert downey yeah. jr is absolutely in wonderful in that yeah yeah and uh, John Carroll Lynch, a character actor I really like, is yes, very very good in that. Yeah, I would say that's probably my favorite role of Mark Ruffalo's. No, no that's fair. After thirteen, going on thirty, you're actually actual actual favorite movie. I mean, Zodiac doesn't have a dance number. It's true. Oh, true. Or Andy Serkis, um, <laughs> who is in that movie, which is a fun thing for me to know about. Yeah. Yeah, we're finishing off Die Hard next week, boys. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I mean, it's going to be a whimper. It's just a question of how big, of, <laughs> how much of a whimper sure. it's going to be. Sure. <laughs> and after that, lands unknown. Yeah. Who, who can say? Um, Probably and if you, yeah. like the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> but out of order. We're doing two, one, three, two, three, yeah. one. Yeah, it'll be a good time. I've never seen them. I have. If Long we time. watch it in a new order, we're going to find, like, there's so many just different connections. We'll be like, guys, I think we, we, we deciphered the Star Wars prequels. We I think they're it. good now. They're always meant to be uh, watched uh, out of sync. <laughs> That's sort of the... They're always sort of, sort of picture that, that people would 
put all the movies up on three different screens <laughs> and then uh, just have a good time. They're, they're much like the three colors trilogy. That's not necessarily a matter of, of, uh, of time moving forward, but sort of characters lives overlapping. I don't, I don't really care if you watch it on your phone. Uh, I own a ranch, so <laughs> you do you. What, what, what you do is, is does not affect, doesn't ri- the really ri- the, the ripples in your pond don't affect my ocean. <laughs> but if you watch them with subtitles, oh, 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 you're gonna face some repercussions, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, where can the want, where can the lovely more, listeners find us? For incredible George Lucas impressions. <laughs> you can you can find us at herecomesequels.blogspot.com or on Twitter at HTT Sequels. Um you can email us at herecomesequels at gmail.com. We are on Spotify, we are on Apple Whatever's uh PearPod, the <laughs> iCarly Universe uh company that has the pear-shaped phones. We're on those. Um, we're on the dark web. Oh yeah, I think we've said that before, but there's repeating. Yeah, we are we are officially listed in the hackers dictionary. <laughs> Marvel Marvel has announced a comic book Spider Man Venom crossover called the Dark Web this year. Okay. <laughs> oh, really? Like, Wait, yes. you're not joking about this? No, I'm not. And I'm kind of like, like, I don't, I don't know where we're going with this. Let's Why is that not goes. the name of the next Venom movie? It should be, oh. and I hope it is. I hope they take inspiration. Yeah. Except okay. I hope it's called Venom v. Morbius, The Dark Web. <laughs> <laughs> Who's writing it? The comic book. Uh, Alex Gerson. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. No, it's it's some... The writers involved in it are actually quite good, so I, I think yeah, yeah. probably it's going to turn awesome. out well. Uh, no, I, yeah, I like that. The, the writers are... Uh, Zeb Wells, not to be confused with Web Wells. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a bad joke. <laughs> Let me see. Who does it? Has it said who all is gonna like specifically? Because right now, Spider Man's being being written by him, and then uh, Al Ewing and uh, Ron V are uh, the writers. They're like alternating on Venom. They're doing a weird thing where they're. Okay. Swapping. And all three of those those guys are, are good comic book writers, so uh I'll be curious to see. Yeah. Swapping much like um, Venom and Eddie Brock. Mm-hmm. If if that third movie's not called Dark Web, it is right there. It's right there. Honestly, <laughs> it's though. right there. It really is. It's gonna be called like Awakening of the Dawn or something. <laughs> like Yeah. Well we had we had Venom and we had Venom Let There Be Carnage. So I feel like I think they know enough. Yeah. To know that they have to make it a little silly. It's just like, Sure. Will they land in the right place? I really hope they just go full YA and they call it like Venom colon Fire of the Neverwinter. <laughs> the Venom series divergent. Uh, you know, <laughs> Britain, I think I think we need some a little more on the nose. What do you what do you think of Venom by our merch? <laughs> Venom bio merch. Now there. Yeah. Ven- Venom Midnight Sun, <laughs> which like also the Midnight Suns are a Marvel thing, but yeah, that's a crossover. Um, yeah, that'd be good. And you and because it's Midnight Sun is about Edward, you can have yeah. uh, our our boy Robert Pattinson. That's there. true. Yeah, 
I can't wait to see. He can him play, play Edward and Batman in the same movie. He can do two yeah. different. It'll be like a dual role kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and Batman's like confronted with his his darkest. Uh, it's his dark side, uh, you know. Yeah, because in this vampire... one he has to face a new enemy. Yeah, <laughs> dark side. Well, and then he has to face off, of course, against the Queen of Mist Realm. Mm-hmm. In uh, Into the Sunset. Mm-hmm. Guys, I just want Venom to be a YA book now. That's all I dream of. Come on, guys. <laughs> it's not that hard. Uh, it's just a Sarah J. Moss book called A Court of Thorns and Venom. <laughs> I do, while we are talking about comic book writer, or writers and artists, I guess, uh, mostly artists, um, I did want to do a strong tonal shift. And mention that uh, Neil Adams passed away this past week. Right, right. Uh, he he was um, in his eighties, I think. So it's it's not like you know crazy unexpected, but still you know a big loss. Uh, he is uh, kind of the guy r- responsible for pulling comic books out of like the late sixties. Like he just he just sort of willed. Uh, ton of comics at around that time to just like take on a more serious approach his his art is incredible um he did like x-men uh batman was kind of the big thing he did um i think green arrow he is is kind of one of his more famous runs where he he did a long stretch on green arrow and like just a ton of stuff where like his art was incredible and he also made the content a lot more mature and just like kind of paved the way for really like Frank Miller and some of the writers who really came along in the in the eighties and came into their own then uh, to have this kind of foundation and was also like a huge advocate for getting comic comic book creators, the respect they deserve in terms of budget rights, like rights to characters, all that stuff. So um, a real pioneer and uh, it's a shame. I think mostly people have really just been like celebrating uh all the work he did and, and how kind of cool of a, of an image and a icon he is in uh, the comic book realm. So I want to shout that out. Uh, yeah. Might be someone that not everyone has heard about, although he's, I think enough like big sites have picked it up that people have been able to kind of be exposed to who he is and, and why he was such an important figure. So I wanted to raise that. Um, yeah. It's, it's a shame, but also glad a lot of people are, I think finding out about him definitely uh through that if they're not kind of already aware of comics yeah his name was like vaguely familiar to me but i i there was so much about him i didn't know that has been coming out recently which has been really really cool to learn yeah i do think he is my favorite batman artist like when i picture batman in my head it's it's his version so there you go on that note (laughs) <laughs> yeah that is a yeah but that, that no that is a good way to end this without uh, apart from just a bunch of <laughs> ch- chicanery um but yeah tune in next week guys we'll be talking good day to die hard and uh we'll take it from there until next week i've been Britton. i've been alex i've been tyler and you're having a good dark night <laughs>